0: Oh, my name is Nancy Ortberg. And this is Baxter Ortberg. I wanted him to be a part of this. I'm one of the followers of becomenew.me, and I know John because I've been married to him for 39 years. And I love mostly being a part of the community of the withered hand. I think it's something we all need to pay attention to in our lives and where we find Jesus most deeply. So the episode I want to reintroduce you to or introduce you to for the first time is what makes night within us may leave us stars. And it's about hope in dark times. This one's personal for both John and I. And I think um, when recently we've had something that falls into the category of devastating, I froze and that's not usually my personality. And I watched John get his shovel out and dig in the dark. And I feel like I sat behind him and kept whispering, have you found him yet? Have you found him yet? And he did. So I hope this episode helps you as much as it helped me.
1: Oh, my friend, we're learning how to take one day at a time with God and take one thought into the day. And here's the thought from today, from the writer, Victor Hugo. What makes night within us may leave stars. What causes suffering, pain, problems for you? And it's there, I don't know how big or small. This has been a season with a lot of them for me, often quite confusing, very often in times when I didn't know how much of this is my failure as a parent, as a pastor, how much of it is just happening, why is it, what do I hold on to? What makes night within us may leave stars. And that doesn't explain why suffering, pain, evil happens. But it gives hope that it might be redeemed, that I don't know why Helen Keller has to go through a lifetime of blindness and deafness. I don't know why uh, Nelson Mandela has to spend 27 years on an island, but I know a goodness has shown into the world because of their faithfulness and courage that wouldn't be there otherwise. I don't know why it works that way. It just does. The classic expression of this in the Bible is the book of Job, and I want to try to unpack as much of it as I can in the next eight minutes and 25 seconds. Um, I used to not like the book of Job. It, it looked like somebody who suffered, was used as a pawn in a weird story about God and Satan, and then God just pounds him for not being smart enough, and he capitulates. I do not understand it that way anymore. Eleanor Stump, Eileen Davis, a number of other folks have written about it in beautiful ways. At the beginning Job has what Dallas Willard calls the faith of propriety. Job is careful with God, offers sacrifices even for his kids in case they've sinned, and God rewards Job with prosperity. So that's his faith. And if you're in a time where life is going pretty well, you may well have the faith of propriety. Do the right things and life will go well. And then this odd scene in the heavenly places, Uh, God is together with the angels or the sons of God, some kind of a Uh, feast, family get together up there, and the Satan comes. So apparently the Satan is a creature who has a place at that table in fellowship with God, but has chosen normally not to be there like a prodigal son, and so God says to this Satan, where have you been? Now, God's not asking for information. It's like when God says to Adam, when Adam's hiding in the garden, Adam, where are you? He's inviting Adam to reflect and to reconnect with God. God is inviting Satan, who God loves. That's an amazing thought, because God is love. God cannot not love, even if that love must take the form of quite severe judgment. God cannot not love. And so he's inviting the Satan to reflect, would you like not to reconnect with me? And the Satan will not do that. And so God says, have you considered my servant Job a life of love and faithfulness actually is possible? Here's an example. Think about it. Wouldn't you rather have that than what you have now, distance and cynical anger, and, and the Satan dismisses that. Says, well, that's because you're so good to Job. If he had a little pain, then the devotion faucet would get shut off. What's at stake? See, cynical people, and Satan is one here, uh, because they don't want to choose goodness. They don't want to believe anybody else can either. They cannot see the world that way. And so God is going to use Job to invite Satan to consider another possibility. But we're going to come back to that business of God using Job. So Job goes through this tremendous suffering. And it's real important to understand uh, the book of Job is sometimes treated as though it were an abstract philosophical treatise. It is not. It is a story. Our lives are stories. And suffering is real. And the suffering here is immense. The loss of prosperity, servants, children. Health boils place in community. Deep shame. Unbelievable trauma. Job suffers so deeply that When it's night, he wants it to be day. When it's day, he wants it to be night. Wherever he is, like, I can't stand it here. You may know something about that. And he cries out. Now, this is a faith of desperation. He's deeply angry at God. He accuses God of firing poisoned arrows at him. He just expresses great confusion and anger and vitriol and his friends that come to comfort him are shocked by this their understanding of the situation is your life used to be great God is good so now if things are terrible Job you must have done something really bad and Job will have none of it he says no, um not that he's perfect but he knows that his behavior has not become uh, unrighteous commensurate with the change from flourishing to intense suffering so I wish I could Go up against God. And finally he does. God shows up in the whirlwind. And God asks all these questions. And I used to think that God was just making Job feel puny and showing him up by being omnipotent and omniscient. And Job does the very thing that for 30 chapters he says he would not do, just capitulates to power. See, his friend said, you know, you gotta stand with God, obey God, cause God's all powerful. And, and Job is insisting, no, God must be good. And I will not, not knuckle under God, under to a God who is powerful if he is not good. But Eleanor Stump and others have shown that the questions God asks point to a, in a certain direction. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and all the morning stars sang for joy? Do you watch out for the young ravens when they cry to God for their food? Do you take care of the wild donkey who will never pull your harness? Do you give water to the desolate places that will never grow crops? And then there's the ostrich who is so foolish, she can't even remember where she laid her eggs, but when she runs, she laughs at horse and rush Over and over, there are these questions that are pointing in the direction of a god who oversees his creation like a parent who loves his children, every one of them, watches over them, cares about them, sings over them, speaks to them, loves to them. What Job is given in his conversation with God, and God honors Job with the longest conversation of any human being in all of the Bible, what Job is given is a vision of the kingdom of God and God's goodness, and God's care. That's why this is a story and not an abstract textbook. We are invited not just to know things about God. There is knowledge that, but then there is knowledge by acquaintance, to know a person. If you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, there's a scene where uh the kid in it who sees dead people is afraid to tell the truth to his mom because he doesn't want her to not love him, to think he's a freak. And she says, look at my face. Does it look like I don't love you? And see, that's what God is saying to Job. Look at my face. And that's why Job ends up saying, I repent in dust and ashes because I had heard of you, but now I have seen your face. Now I know you. And no one ever knew. No one ever had that kind of conversation, that experience with God the way that Job did. Now, God is able to deal with Satan and use Job in Satan's life to invite Satan to love to treat Job as a means to an end in the life of Satan but at the same time God is able to deal with Job as an end in himself Eleanor Stump says it's kind of like those Russian dolls where you find one nested in another nesting in another so there is God's relationship with the morning stars and with the young ravens and he deals with each of them as a loving pair but then he's able to tell that story to Job to make a difference in Job's life, but then he's able to reveal the story of Job to Satan. And so it's like one story nested in another, nested in another, nested in another. And you could add that on infinitely. That is the nature of the world. Each of Job's children, who it looks like he loses them and they're just used as pawns in Job's story. But each of them also could have a story written about their relationship with God. And so could you. And so could I. And in the end, Job is restored twice as much and he's given children. Three of them are daughters. He gives his daughters an inheritance, which was financially foolish back then because you'd get back what you gave to your sons, not to your daughters. But he, but he, he gives them inheritance and he gives them names. We're not told the son's names. We are the daughter's names. And what's more, they're kind of frivolous names. One of them is named after like cinnamon and one's named after a kind of makeup because now Job has become like God gratuitously good and irrationally generous even when it cannot be strategically useful to Him. He has seen God. And now you have your own story with God. God's providence is so big that He is able to use each of us in the lives of others. And yet because He is so big and because He is so good, you are also the object of God's providential care directly for you. And if you will persist, if you and I will be faithful, I believe this, I am seeking to live this one day at a time. Although I don't understand any more than Job did, everything that I'm going on. But here's the truth. What makes night within us can leave stars. The day will come when we will see, when we will know. And that's the good news. So take end into your day as you face irritations, interruptions, trials, deep burdens, the loss of everything. That is not the end of your story. What makes night within us may leave stars. I'll see you
2: tomorrow. Hi there, my name is Tim. And I'm a part of the Become New.me community and a part of the Become New Team. And in case you're wondering, if you're on our text subscription, I'm the person behind that phone number that's sending you those texts every day. And if at any time you would like to receive prayer or to have someone come alongside you in whatever you're going through, feel free to reach out because I would love to pray for you. You could also email in at become new.me at gmail.com. I hope this episode met you right where you're at today. Uh, And in case you're wondering where I am at, actually in my mom's kitchen. So we're just rolling from wherever we are with this team, because as John says, we meet God in reality. This is our reality and we're meeting him together. Thanks for being on this journey with us. You matter to us. we're so grateful to be connected with you. I hope you stick with us because we've got some great guests coming up. So we'll see you soon on our next installment of Favorites.